Well, good morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. Everybody had a nice walk in today. It's a little wet outside. I'm so glad you come to worship at 1045 here at the church. I'm glad to be able to be with you and connect with you this morning. My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb. And I'm overjoyed to be with you today as we continue in our series, this series called All the Feels. Now, who was here last week for the kickoff as Daniel Savannah kind of kicked us off on this new series, All the Feels? He did a wonderful job of really showing us that for the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is looking into all the different ways that our emotions our feelings, uh, too often they control us, but rather than us being controlled by them, how do we grow into the people God wants us to be through them? How do we see Jesus in the scripture handle all the emotions that we feel and we experience ourselves and what can we learn from him? So Stout did a great job last week looking at our first emotion was compassion, that Jesus himself looked at those who were lost, had compassion on them like they were sheep without a shepherd. So today we're going to continue on with the same series, All the Feels. I'm excited about it because I believe that there's a ton to learn in the New Testament, especially about the way Jesus handles emotion, and it allows us to become the people that God wants us to be. Anybody remember in middle school, perhaps if you're maybe my age or something like that, you remember in middle school having a, a mood ring? Anybody have mood rings when you're a kid? Let me hear you if you're a mood ring person. Come on. Yeah, amazing technology, right? So when I was a kid, like having a mood ring was a big deal. You'd walk around with your mood rings and all of them looked different. And, you know, some of them were like moons and then you had ones that were just like the regular band. And if you were ever confused about the emotion or the feelings you were having at that point in time, all you had to do was look down and your mood ring would reveal to you, you're, you're angry right now or you're frustrated right now. All these different colors that would show up on your ring. And so whether it was like black or green or blue, it was helping you understand your emotions. Because let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to understand how we're feeling at this point in time. Mood rings changed the whole game. And so you realize that mood rings had nothing to do with your mood, but it was temperature changes that was causing the colors to change. So it's kind of screwed up my whole understanding as a middle school kid about all the emotions that I had then. But all of us, if we're honest, we have these emotions and these feelings that sometimes are really overwhelming. Sometimes it's hard to understand what exactly are we feeling right now. And as we look in the culture that we exist within, there's all kinds of ways that we interact with our emotions and feelings. And the reason is because they're deep within us. There's something to be said about all of them. And somehow they're expressed in these different kinds of ways. I'll give you an example right now as well. So I want to change the mood in the room here for a minute. I want you to tell me how you feel when the lighting changes to like this color. There we go. How are you feeling? Who's angry all of a sudden? <laughs> Good. Make sure you see what hands are raised right now. Okay, let's, let's change it to, to another color and see how this changes maybe your mood a little bit. Is that better? Feel a little joy maybe. It's rainy outside, but in here it feels nice and sunshiny, perfect. How about this one? One more. The blues. How does that make you feel? Who feels calm right now? Maybe, maybe a little sad. You know, there's a reason in our culture that we say things like when we're feeling sorrowful, we're feeling grief, we say things like, I'm just feeling blue right now, you know? I'm just feeling blue. We express these deep emotions, these deep, deep feelings, oftentimes by using colors to help kind of express these different things. Who's ever built a house or remodeled a house and you're choosing the color that you want for that room because I just want to feel this way in this room. That color does it right there. Right? We have deep feelings, deep emotions that, that express what's going on within us and inside of us. But sometimes it's hard to even be able to navigate these kinds of things. But the things that we experience in our life prove to us one thing. I believe it's this. Our moods matter. Our moods matter. There's a reason that mood rings existed. 
or maybe still exists. Maybe somebody's got one on this morning. There's a reason they exist because our moods matter. There's a reason that companies spend major amounts of money creating a certain vibe or environment by the colors and the design they put into a building because our moods matter. There's a reason why Hollywood spends a ton of money making movies that tug at your heartstrings. Marley and me, anybody in the room? How does that movie even exist? Fox and Hound? What? Tugging at our heartstrings. They make movies that make us laugh because our moods matter. There's a reason that on our phones we have apps like the Calming app to help us just chill out a little bit. There's reasons these exist because within our life, our, our, our moods, our feelings, they matter. They mean something. They help us experience the world around us. And so this joy that maybe we feel when there's a birth of a child in our family, I mean, overwhelming joy. Maybe for some of us, it's the heartbreak of a broken relationship. Or it's the amazement at God's creation when you go outside and you see all that he's made. Or maybe it's the pain of tragic loss. This is a part of our life. These emotions and these feelings. And I would argue that these emotions and feelings is what it means to be made in the image of God. It's part of being human. At the very core of who we are, these emotions and feelings are a part of it. We're made in the image of God that the scriptures tell us has emotions as well. I mean, the, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. We find out in scripture that God is angry when there's things like injustice in the world. And Stal did a great job last week showing us that God has compassion on those who are lost, like sheep who are without a shepherd. Our, our mood matters. Our feelings matter. When we have all the feels, it's something that God actually cares about. But the problem is there are, there are many, especially within the church, who would want us to believe that our emotions, that they're bad. Our feelings are bad. They should be avoided at all costs. They're seen as distractions or just an evidence of a broken world rather than being a part of what it may, means to be made as a human. So the problem, I would argue, is not with our feelings themselves. They don't lead to the issue. The problem is how do we handle our feelings? How do we handle our emotions? That's the key. How do we manage our moods? How do we feel our feelings? Because our feelings, they should not govern us, but they can help guide us. Our feelings cannot govern us, but they can help guide us. We can't allow ourselves to be controlled by feelings. In our culture right now, especially, this is one of the reasons we want to have this discussion during this series. Our culture right now in 2020 is doing everything it can to elevate our feelings and our emotions. Let me prove it to you. Political rhetoric, it evokes emotion, does it not? Addiction to social media evokes emotion. 24-7 news cycle evokes emotion. Global pandemic evokes emotion. Racial unrest evokes emotion. And fantasy football evokes emotion. I see somebody elbow and somebody right now. But it's true, right? These kinds of things cause all this emotion, all of this feeling to come out. But if we're not careful, oftentimes the things that we say, the things that we do, the way that we react, we are controlled by our feelings rather than growing into the people that God wants us to be by allowing emotions to be a guide for us and our feelings to be a guide for us. You see, according to the scriptures, in order to learn how to live, to be fully human, the best picture that we have is Jesus Christ himself. You don't have to look any further than the incarnation. God pulling on skin, walking among us. And Jesus himself in the New Testament experienced all the emotions that we experience. And we've been given something in the scriptures to show us how to live this life. Jesus is the archetype of what we are meant to be, the way we are meant to live. 
And so it would be uh, very wise for us this morning to look into scripture to find out the way that Jesus handles his emotions so that we might model it within our life as well. Now we're gonna look at a story in the gospels, in the book of John, where Jesus experiences an emotion that more than likely every single one of us in this room this morning have experienced ourselves. And I would argue that the emotion we're gonna look at this morning is one that we're very familiar with and if we're not careful is one that will control us. It's one that will take us down a path that we don't wanna go down. And so what happens in John chapter 11, Jesus is right in the middle of his ministry. He's traveling around. He is working busy for the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick. He's preaching to those who are in need of hope. Jesus is doing his ministry when he gets word that one of his friends, Lazarus, has died. Lazarus is very, very sick, and he's about to die, actually. And Jesus is called to come and come and heal Lazarus. We don't exactly know why, but the Bible tells us that even after this information, Jesus decides to stay where he is for an amount of time still. He stays where he's at. We're gonna pick up in the story in John chapter 11, verse 32. When Jesus arrives finally, Lazarus' sister Mary comes and meets him. And here's what it says. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You can see in this passage from the very beginning that Mary, you can feel the desperation in her voice, can't you? Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have come just a little bit earlier, my brother would not have died. She's weeping. Those who are with her, the Jews that are with her, they're weeping as well. And, and it says in the Bible that Jesus, he is deeply moved in spirit and he is troubled. Jesus is experiencing alongside of Mary and those who are with her, Grief. Grief. Now maybe even this morning as I say that word, that word is very familiar to you. Maybe there's been a season in your life where, where grief was right along with you for months, maybe years. Maybe even right now you're experiencing deep grief here today. And just this conversation maybe brings all the feels again that maybe you've tried to kind of uh, leave somewhere behind you. But we know what grief feels like, don't we? It's like a heavy blanket like a long cold night it's a hollow emptiness I would characterize grief this morning like this grief is any kind of loss where the future that we had planned is no longer possible grief is any kind of way where we've experienced a loss of some kind that no longer allows the future that we once had planned and so I thought life was going to go like this and this person I loved I and mean, they passed away everything was going great and then this job I lost that job Everything was fine. I had all the friends that I wanted. All of a sudden, I realized this friend is no longer spending time with me. He's not interested in, in connecting with me in any kind of way. Any kind of loss where the future we once had planned is no longer possible. That's grief. That's grief. It's painful. It's sorrowful. We experience it in all kinds of ways, don't we? It's grief. It's loss. It's strong feelings that come up when we experience something like this. As a pastor at this church, I've had the incredible privilege and the painful honor of walking alongside of families and individuals who, through some of the hardest times of their lives. So sometimes it's on a Friday and you come in and we sit down with a family and we plan a funeral of someone they loved. We pick out songs, we decide what scripture we're gonna speak of, we're gonna celebrate their life. It's painful. It's a 
counseling for a couple who's decided they've given up on their marriage. They're not sure how to go forward. It's getting coffee with a student maybe who's had a recent breakup. I mean, it's all kinds of levels. It's all kinds of spectrum, isn't it? But it's all loss. And we know what this feels like. And so sitting down with a couple or sitting down with a family or sitting down with an individual, every single time when there's grief, we're, we're getting creative and learning, what's it look like to move forward from here? What does my future look like now? This is grief. This is something that Jesus experiences because Mary, she's lost her brother in John chapter 11. Jesus, he's lost his friend and he's grieved in his heart. Now, in the following verses of this story, when Jesus speaks to Mary, we see in the next three verses, two verses, some of the shortest scriptures in all of the Bible, but I would argue again this morning, some of the most profound that we need to hear today that I think could change the way that we experience this particular emotion, this feeling of grief. We get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. We get an inside look at the emotions and the feelings of Jesus. Here's what it says in verse 34. He asked them, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, two words, say it with me. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. Jesus wept. Two words in this one verse. It is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. But I think this verse right here reveals something to us today that many of us, we need. We have to hear it. We can't miss this. See, Jesus weeps. He weeps. He feels the emotion, and he weeps. This is what we would call in theological circles, in kind of the nerdy theological circles, something called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union is what we refer to when we talk about Jesus being 100% man. He's human. And yet, somehow, mysteriously, he's 100% God. He's divine. And so you see God in the form of Jesus Christ here on earth. He doesn't walk around completely oblivious to what's going on, but instead when there's a loss of a friend, a loss of a family member, Jesus weeps and he weeps alongside of them. Which brings me to a very important question this morning. What kind of God weeps? What kind of God weeps? You see, in the ancient Near East, there was all kinds of gods people worshiped. And most of the gods in the ancient Near East that were being worshipped were completely uninterested in what was happening in the lives of people, ambivalent to what was going on in the lives of people, could care less, and in, and in fact, in some ways, was causing some of the difficulty and struggle in people's lives. But Jesus is different. We find out in verse 35, this God, Jesus, was skin on, God was skin on in the person of Christ. This God weeps. This God weeps. When there's grief, it's a whole new way of seeing the divine that's put on display right here. Please hear me this morning. We do not have a God who is somewhere far off, uninterested in what's happening within our lives. We do not have a God who's completely uninterested in the difficulties and the struggles and the grief that we're experiencing right here and right now. We have a God who is intimately involved in the middle of our suffering who is intimately involved in the middle of our pain to the point where Jesus himself goes to the cross, endures that scorning, that shame, and that pain on our behalf. Jesus weeps. We have a God who weeps. This means that we have a God who mourns when you mourn. We have a God who hurts when you hurt. We have a God who feels sorrow when we feel sorrow. 
So whatever you're going through today, I want to remind you that the, the grief that you're carrying, the pain that you feel inside, that hole that you don't know how you're going to fill, God is with you in the middle of that valley. God holds you when you cry. We've never been promised a perfect life, but what we have been promised is the fact that God would never leave us and never forsake us. He is with you in your struggle. Jesus wept because of grief. The story goes on in chapter 11 and verse 38. Jesus says this, once more moved deeply, he came to the tomb where Lazarus was. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Take away the stone, he says. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of, of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I believe in this story, we see the veil between the, the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus get very, very thin. I believe this morning that when we experience grief, we too, that veil between us and our humanity and the divinity of God gets very, very thin. You see in one verse, Jesus weeps. In the very next verse, what does Jesus do? He miraculously raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, this message I don't think is, listen, if you're going through a hard time, you're grieving, don't worry, Jesus will resurrect it. That's not the point. That's not the point. This is a foreshadowing of what's about to take place in Jesus' life. He's gonna be crucified, he's gonna be killed, he's gonna be laid in the tomb, and what's he gonna do three days later? Rise from the dead. And not only that, don't miss this this morning, this is a foreshadowing. This story of Lazarus' resurrection is a foreshadowing of Jesus' resurrection. But if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, it's not talked about often within the church, which drives me crazy, but we believe, because of Scripture has told us, that we too will be resurrected. You know what that means? The last thing that you will experience in this life will not be the last thing that you experience. The story goes on. Eternity. You will be resurrected. Death does not have the last word and the final say. Your grief does not have the last word and final say. Your sorrow, your trouble, your struggle does not have the last word and final say. And not only that, but Jesus weeps alongside of you. That's the story that we see here in John chapter 11. That when we experience grief, I believe more than any other emotion that we're going to talk about during this series, we are so close to God. We are so close to the divine where we could reach out and touch the face of God. Catherine of Aragon from the Lord of the Rings, just kidding. She was a 16th century queen of England. She said it this way, none get to God but through trouble. None get to God but through trouble. You know what she knew? Life is hard. Stuff happens. There's pain. There's difficulty. But that's how we encounter God in a very, very special way in the midst of our grief. Grief 
trouble, suffering, loss. It has this way of removing everything else that is peripheral, all the things that are on the side. Grief is the great eliminator. It shows us the things that are actually important. It takes our focus off the temporal, and in some ways it reveals to us the things that are eternal. How many know that during a time of grief, maybe you you were awakened to the things that were most important in life? You never saw it coming, but it, but it showed you something that you were missing before it. So my question is this this morning, how do we interact with our grief then? How do we make sure that we're not controlled by our grief, but instead we allow our grief to guide us into healthier places, the people that God wants us to be? And the first thing I would say is this, we have to identify our grief. Maybe this morning, the first step for you today is to identify your grief. Maybe you need to speak it out loud. Here's what it is. This is it. This is the heavy thing that I've been carrying. Maybe you need to write it down. Maybe you need to tell someone this is it. You see, our culture is so opposed to any kind of feeling of grief. We don't want to feel any grief because it's not fun. No one walks around like, you know what I need today? A good heartbreak. That would make everything great. You know, I just need a good cry. That, that would make me feel so much better. No one really wants that because it's not fun. It's not a good thing to go through. So what we do oftentimes, we just simply avoid it. Much grief that exists in this room right now has been avoided for a very, very long time. And because we don't like grief, we, we avoid it in all kinds of ways. We, we avoid grief with entertainment. And so Netflix becomes our escape. I'll just watch another show. We, we avoid grief. And so what we often do is substance, alcohol, pills become our escape. I don't want to deal with it. I'll, I'll go this way. We avoid grief with our business. We just get to work doing more stuff. And the problem is when we try to escape our grief, we never actually heal from our grief. We just carry it along with us. If we don't do the hard work of identifying our pain, identifying our loss, then we never have the chance to truly heal. I think what Jesus calls us into first and foremost is a bit of an investigation, a search to discover what is it exactly that is causing me to feel the way that I feel. I just feel blue and I don't know why. I mean, if I'm honest, sometimes I just feel weird. Anybody else? You just feel off? I mean, I've had seasons, like months, where I just have felt off and I can't put my finger on it. I don't know exactly what it is. And sometimes it's like, I just need to get some sleep. I get some sleep, I'll feel better tomorrow. And sometimes that works. I just need some chocolate. Anybody else? I just need some chocolate. That'll fix everything. Maybe some coffee. That'll, that'll be good. But how many know also that sometimes it's not as simple as that? There's something else underneath. There's something below all of that that if we don't identify it, then we never have power over it. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. We cannot heal from what we don't feel. We cannot heal from what we don't feel. And unless we're willing to identify whatever that grief is, we never get the chance to heal from it and move forward from it, no matter what it is, whatever kind of loss that it is. And if we can identify it, then we can step into our next step of dealing with grief. It's very important. Number two. Secondly, then we can begin a, a journey with our grief. Begin a journey with our grief. And I'll be very clear this morning. I don't say this in some kind of flippant way. We just get to journey. It's going to be fun. We'll journey with our grief for a while. It's not that easy. This endeavor that we go through, no matter what the loss is, no matter what the pain is, is not an easy thing. But it's a necessary thing. 
It's not easy to go back into our grief, but our grief is trying to take us somewhere. It's trying to move us somewhere to a healthier place. These feelings are trying to guide us. And if we neglect the journey, if we find ourselves paralyzed, stuck in the middle of our grief, then we never can be led into the place that God wants us to go into. And if we get stuck in our journey, here's what happens. Too often, we develop self-destructive behavior. We develop deep depression. We, We have feelings of hopelessness. We can't stay there. The writer in the Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes, really wrestles with all the difficult emotions that we've been talking about in this series and certainly that we talk about today. And in verse two, the author makes a very important observation about our lives, every single one of our lives. And he points out the reason why this journey is so important. Here's what the author says in verse one, chapter one, verse two. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. How about that for an encouraging message this morning? Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, the, t- the author, known as the teacher here, is trying to teach us something very important. Now, Rob Bell, in one of his videos called Introduction to Joy, he points out that in verse 2, this word meaningless can be translated in other ways within the Hebrew as well. It's not just meaningless. It has a deeper kind of motif to it. It's the, the Hebrew word havel. Everyone say havel. This word means meaningless, but it can also mean vapor. And it can also be translated as mist. So what the author is saying here is that all of life, it's like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's here, and then it's gone. It seems so short, this life. How many in the room this morning, you have a child who's graduated from high school? How many of you with your hands up, you remember exactly what it was like when they were in diapers? And it feels like yesterday, right? I was just thinking this week, my wife and I have been married for 11 years, and it's been some good 11 years. But on the same side, even on one side, there's such joy in those 11 years. On the flip side, there's a bit of grief realizing those 11 years are behind us. It's been so fast. We got three kids. How did this happen? I mean, our life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. I don't even want to tell you what what year the movie Titanic came out in. Okay? Every year goes faster and faster. Our life is a vapor. It's a mist. It's here. And then it's gone. The author says, meaningless, meaningless. It's vapor. It's mist. So here's what grief does for us. If we allow ourselves to journey with grief, it allows us to bring our life into focus. May 12th, 2020 this year, we had a funeral for my father-in-law, Derwood Owens. And it was a COVID funeral that many may be familiar with where only a few people can come. So we drove to Conway, South Carolina, just the 12 of us, we had a funeral, which is not the kind of funeral that my father-in-law deserved. He's an amazing man. My mother-in-law asked me to do the funeral, and I was very hesitant. I did not want to do that, uh, but I realized it was the right thing. And doing that funeral is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Being able to speak to such an amazing man and the life that he lived. We sat around. We celebrated his life. We laughed. We cried. And afterwards, we walked out of that funeral I walked out into the sun and I felt the sun on my skin like I never had before. 
Like I hear every bird and every tree around. And every hug within the family was warmer than it had ever been before. Here's why. Something that grief does for us is it has this way of, of showing us the sanctity of life. The sacredness of life. It shows us, as the author says in Ecclesiastes, it's a vapor. It's a mist. It's here and then it's gone. The reason this journey with our grief is so important this morning is because your life, my life, is a vapor. It won't last forever. We don't have time to get stuck in the middle of this journey and never move forward into healthier places within our life. That's not what God has intended for us. As painful as it is, we have to allow ourselves to move forward. And this journey may look like this, getting to the place eventually where you can forgive. This journey may be being open to friendships and relationships that you were never open to before. Maybe starting a new business. Maybe being willing to dream again. Maybe it's finding peace somehow in the middle of our loss. And so I believe Jesus would invite us into this journey to allow this grief to take us somewhere. Maybe it's talking with a counselor. Maybe being honest with a really good friend. There's a reason this church exists we have Stephen ministers, other support groups here in this church that we would love to connect you with if, if you find yourself in the middle of this journey and some days you don't want to continue on. Your journey will not look like someone else's. Every journey is different. Even if the situation is the same, it's not the same. So don't compare your journey with someone else. Man, they're, they're so much farther along than I am. That's okay. They're able to talk about it. I can't even speak the words. That's okay. They seem like they're over it. That's okay. Don't compare your journey with someone else's. They're not the same. And then I would say this about this journey. It was never meant to be done alone. You do not journey alone. This God who loves us so much, he walks with us in the middle of our mourning and suffering. There are people in this church who would love to walk alongside of you and show you love in the middle of your grief. There's a reason we have small groups. There's a reason we have family. So we don't go through this journey alone. We can invite other people into it as well. Lastly, maybe we've identified this grief in our life. Maybe we've journeyed with this grief for some time. And even in some ways, we feel like we've healed in deep, meaningful ways. Then lastly, I would say this. If you find yourself over the past months or years, being amazed by what God has done in your life, even in the midst of your grief, you cannot waste your grief. You cannot waste your grief. Your struggle, your sorrow, your pain that you've allowed God to heal you in is a gift to the world. It's an example to other people who have experienced that sorrow, that difficulty, that trial. You're saying to them, you can make it. This does not have the last word and the final say. We believe in resurrection. We believe in new life. We believe in hope. You don't have to get stuck here. You can make it. Now, John 11 is an incredible story about this resurrection of Lazarus, but again, it's pointing to something bigger, the resurrection of Christ, and something even bigger, the resurrection for all of those who place their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ. So if you found hope there, Offer it to someone else. Give it to someone else. Paul says it this way in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He's writing to the early church. 
You see, in the early church, there were these early believers who had passed away and they'd watched their loved ones die. And Paul writes to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no what? Hope. Paul says, we grieve. We are saddened. We experience sorrow. But as Christians, we don't do it without hope. We don't mourn like the rest of the world around us. We mourn. We are saddened. We experience pain. But all at the same time, we do it with hope as a follower of Christ. It's because the last thing that we face, this death, this difficulty, it will not be the last thing that we face. We will experience new life in the end. You see, the grief that we experience, it will leave us with wounds. And some of us, we're walking around wounded people. The church itself, it exists for wounded people. That's the point. But the point is not to stay there. If we allow ourselves, if we can identify that grief, if we can journey with that grief, I believe what God does, he begins to heal those wounds and instead he makes them scars. Wounds to scars. I don't know anybody that I've ever met in life that doesn't love telling a good story about a scar, right? Like I was riding this bike down this hill, I was going too fast and, I, and here's the scar to prove it. Every scar has a story. So if you're someone who's gone from wounds to scars, your scars have a story to tell to give hope to someone else. It reminds me of the story of the post-resurrection experience of Jesus. He shows up multiple times to the disciples and to others before he ascends into heaven. But there's one disciple who had not experienced it yet. Y'all probably know his name. His name's Thomas, also known as what? Doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap. The disciples and Thomas are there and Jesus shows up in the middle of this room. And I love what happens because Thomas is having a hard time. Thomas is having a hard time, having hope. I saw him, he was dead. He was in the tomb. You're telling me you've seen him, but I've not seen him. I've not experienced it. He's having a hard time. So Jesus shows up in the room and he goes to Thomas. He says, Thomas, I want you to look at the scars in my hands, in my feet, in my side. Why does Jesus have scars? It's a resurrected Christ. It's a perfect body. Why does he have scars? I think it's because the scars of Jesus Christ give hope to anyone who sees it. It's a testament to what happened, but it's also a testament to what could happen. It's the very thing that convinces Thomas that Jesus is Lord. It's not his wounds. It's his scars. We can't waste our grief. We have to offer it to others. Others are in need of hope. So who is one person that needs to hear your story? Who is someone that needs hope today? Now, I would love if this story, this sermon was this simple. Listen, all you gotta do, identify your grief. It's no big deal. This is what it is. And then you just journey with it for a while. Everything's cool. At the very end, then you get healed and you can give it to someone else too. That's one. I wish it was that simple. And, and how many in the room know it's not? We ebb and we flow. We feel better one day and then, when you know it, you slide back again into this difficult place. It's never ending. Kentucky farmer and famous poet, you may have heard of him, named Wendell Berry, he says it so perfectly in this poem when he says this, I don't believe that grief passes away. 
It has its time and place forever. More time is added to it. It becomes a story within a story, but grief and griever alike endure. Grief and griever alike endure. It's a process. Some days are good, some days are hard. Since May, my family and I, we've found ways to begin to kind of live into a new normal. We have hope. We know we will see Durwood one day again. It's not easy. There's these little things that kind of come up as we kind of move forward. And we have Durwood's computer um, at our house. And my son's been doing virtual school on Durwood's computer. And so he gets on there and does his schoolwork and stuff. My wife the other day went to find the computer and, and get it from Eli. And she did. And she was going to buy something from off Walmart. She was going to order it. We'll go pick it up. Everything would be cool. So she, she jumped on Walmart.com. And when she did, she realized that there was a cart that was already full on the website. And so she clicked on it. And it was... Uh, my father-in-law had been on Walmart and had made a whole cart full of things that he was going to buy, like toilet paper, <laughs> paper towels, and boxes of formula for my daughter, Murray. He never bought them. Never bought them. My wife gets on here to order those things, and it's just one more reminder, one more thing, just opens that wound again. And it's that season, my father-in-law loved football, big Gamecock fan, Ouch. That's a joke. His birthday's Halloween. Christmas was his favorite thing. It finally started cooling off and everything like that. Again, it's just, it's just raw. It's fresh. But guess what? Grief and griever both endure. Though the grief stays, it changes. It becomes something first, like a big burlap sack that just crushes us. Eventually it becomes a backpack that we carry. Eventually it's like a handbag. I mean, it's still there. You still feel it, but you can carry it now. But grief and griever both endure. So this morning, I want to invite you and myself to maybe allow God to speak into our lives. What part of this journey are we on? What have we been ignoring and just escaping from for a while? What journey have we started, but we don't really want to continue it? Or maybe what has God done in our life that we're unwilling to share with other people and it could bring hope? I want to pray for us today and invite God to do his work that he wants to do this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are so thankful that you weep when we weep. You mourn when we mourn. We are sorrowful, God. You are sorrowful. I pray that you would show us today, God, no matter what grief we experience, that you are not somewhere far off, but you are right there in the middle of it with us. I pray this morning, God, you would show us that this life that you have given us, it is a vapor, it is a mist, it is here, and then it is gone. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be able to steward it well. And Father, thank you for many this morning who have experienced your healing may be a hope to those around us. And so this morning, I'd invite you to just ask God, God, what, what needs to be done in my life today? How do I handle these feelings and emotions that swirl within me? Invite God to just put his finger on that thing to help you identify right now. This is it. This is the thing. 
and invite God to give you the strength that you need to either start or continue the journey with grief that you're on. And maybe this morning you need God to show you someone around you who needs to hear your story, who needs to see the scars that they might have hope themselves. So for the next few minutes, God, as we sit here, as we listen to these lyrics of this song, would you speak to us in a very powerful way today? Would you give us hope that we might not mourn like those who have no hope? Speak to us today, Lord. We need you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.